Good morning, everybody, and welcome to week two of our When Love Crossed Over series. And uh, if I don't get a chance to say it at the end, we just pray that you and your family will have the most blessed Christmas. Well, last week we, we talked about the nativity scene and the words of a beautiful song, One Glorious Night When Love Crossed Over. And we talked about this idea of the love of God crossing over into humanity. This God becoming flesh in the birth of Christ is called the doctrine of the incarnation and it is a core doctrine of the Christian faith. One of the key verses is from John 1. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighbourhood. And we saw the glory with our own eyes, the one of a kind glory like father, like son. And last week we asked that question of why would God take on human flesh? And of course the answer is that God wants to be known by us. And in a way, Jesus was the only true living avatar of the transcendent God. In simple terms, we say that Jesus showed us exactly what God is like. God and Christ are one. God is entirely Christ-like. The incarnation was not a one-shot 33-year experiment in human history. It began with the birth of Jesus and it has never stopped When the physical body of Jesus ascended to heaven, it did not end the word becoming flesh. God is still present with skin on him. And how can that be? We are the body of Christ. And by we, I mean all those who call Jesus Lord, who have invited the presence of the Holy Spirit, who is God, into our lives The actual human body of Jesus is no longer present on earth, but his plan was for something so much greater. He knew in his physical presence he was only one person in one place at one time, but his vision was for a multitude of people who would be his hands and feet and heart and his words, his forgiveness, his grace, his love. His vision was the church. We are the body of Christ. We're not representative of the body of Christ. We are not like the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians, you are Christ's body. That's who you are. You must never forget it. The word became flesh and continues to dwell amongst us. God is still in this world in a physical way. God still has skin. And that skin looks like yours and mine. So I said last week, the implications of this are huge. When the love of God crossed over into our world, he changed it forever. And there are people, people who are listening to me now, who are literally carrying the presence of Christ himself. Okay, so... What does this really mean in reality? Let's start with prayer. What difference does this make to how we pray? How is a Christian prayer different to, say, a, um, a faithful Hindu person's prayer? We are asked in the Bible to pray earnestly for our needs and heart's desires and especially for others in their time of need. And we are told that God wants our prayers, hears our prayers, and answers our prayers. Now, in the Hindu tradition, and uh, 
we've seen this when we've visited a beautiful Hindu temple in Dandenong. In that tradition, the, the faithful believers will, will dutifully, dutifully visit their temple and they will buy um, like a small plate of food and they will take it into the temple and they will find the image of the god or the goddess that they want to pray for and they will leave the offering of food um, at the feet of, uh, of that image of god or goddess. And the priest will will um, meet with them and he will reassure them that they've done everything necessary for the God to hear their request. Now, they have prayed as theists. They have prayed as one who believes in a God in heaven. And they can walk away from that prayer, leaving it in the hands of the God that they believe is in heaven. Now, as Christians, why don't we bring an offering to church and lay it at the altar and pray and walk away, leaving it to God who is in heaven? Because we pray as Christians, people who believe that God dwells in heaven but also dwells in and amongst his people. We have skin in the game when it comes to prayer. We often finish a prayer with these words, through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's like, God, I know that the Farkle family are really struggling at the moment. Would you be with them, comfort them, bring them some joy into their lives through Jesus Christ our Lord? Now, when we pray through Christ, we are praying through Christ who is in heaven and Christ who is present in the body of believers here on earth. Not only God in heaven is being petitioned and asked to act, we are also charging ourselves as part of the body of Christ with some responsibility for answering that prayer. I can't tell you how many times that my prayers for a situation have led me to seek to be part of the answer to that prayer. To pray as a Christian is not to just Leave it to God in heaven and walk away. It demands concrete involvement in trying to bring about what is pleaded for in the prayer because the Jesus who we are praying to is living in us. We are part of his body. Now, let me tell you a couple of stories that illustrate this really well. And I'm reading from um, a great book called The Holy Longing by Ronald Rollheiser. An elderly nun came to see a spiritual director. She shared with him the story of a young nun who had just left their community. The elderly nun had very much liked this girl and appreciated the spark and vigour she brought to the community. For a year, though, she'd noticed that she was obviously in distress, agonising as to whether or not she should leave the community and as to whether indeed the community even wanted her. So the elderly nun prayed for the young nun, prayed that she might stay, prayed that she might realise that she was wanted and valued, prayed that God might give her the strength to see beyond her doubts. But she never went at any time and talked to the girl. She never told her how much the community appreciated the gift that she, the young nun, was. Now she was upset that the girl had left. The point is obvious. The elderly nun prayed 
as a theist and not as a Christian, she never put skin to her prayer. And then this is a story from Bradley Jersick, and um, the language in this is a little bit fruity, but I'm sure you can cope. And he tells a story of a friend of his. Leslie sent an urgent message concerned for her buddy, Mark. She believed his life had spiralled out of control and that he had rejected God. She felt he had become delusional and self-destructive to the point of driving his truck off a cliff. He did survive and yet no one, neither his local church nor the hospital nor even God seemed to be intervening. When I suggested we pray for Mark, Leslie expressed her anger at God. She said, if God was here in front of me, I would scream at him, punch him in the face and kick him in the balls if he has any. Well then, I asked her what she thought God should do about Mark. She replied, he should strap him down and keep him there until he's better. That's what I would do. I suggested that if God really worked that way, what a funny world this would be. Imagine all the people all over the world strapped down. Where would we put them all? Who would take care of them? How exactly would they get better? I'm pretty sure I'd be strapped down most of the time as well, completely against my will. But God loves us too much to be the great warden of a global supermax penitentiary. He has chosen not to violate our freedom in this way. He has chosen instead to reach out in love through caring friends such as Leslie, inviting Mark to a better way. The Saviour will get involved through loved ones who consent to truly help. And I think Roland Rollheiser really sums it up when he says, if my mother is sick, and I pray that she gets better, but I do not drive her to see the doctor. I have prayed as a theist, not as a Christian. I have not given any incarnational flesh or skin to my prayer. It is more difficult for God to answer such a prayer. If I see a colleague or a friend who looks depressed and pray for her, but do not speak to her, then I'm praying like a theist, not as a Christian. How is God supposed to consult her? Send her an email from heaven? It is my voice and my compassion that is called for since I am part of the body of Christ and praying precisely through the body of Christ and am there, available to talk to her. If I pray for a close friend today but do not send him a text to tell him I'm thinking about him, how is that prayer supposed to touch him? If I pray for world peace, but do not inside of myself forgive those who have hurt me, how can God bring about peace on this planet? Our prayer needs our flesh to back it up. Our prayer needs our flesh to back it up. That's how a Christian prays. But let me just add something important here. I know that there are times we are praying for things that despite our great desire to be part of the answer, we just have to leave it to God. When my mum was in her last days, slowly fading from this life in quite a difficult way, I desperately wanted to do something to help. 
but I had to listen to the voice of Christ inside of me whisper, here is a time when you take your hands off and leave it to me. All will be well. Okay, what difference does it make to how we seek to reconcile people to God? Now, disciples of Christ, I'm speaking to now, reconciling people to God, calling them into his loving presence is the purpose of our lives. Do you have any idea of the power that you have to show Jesus and change a situation? To offer people unconditional love and acceptance is something that comes only from God. Let me tell you a a true story. And um, this story was was, uh, shown in the movie Dead Man Walking. Uh, It's quite an old movie now, probably from the 80s. Starts Susan Saarinen and Sean Penn. Powerful story about a nun, Sister Helen Prigian, who became a spiritual confidant to a murderer and rapist who was on death row. Now, this man had committed a terrible crime, one, one which had brought untold suffering to many families, and he was sentenced to die by lethal injection. There is no way that anyone would seek to offer him grace or love. No one except the woman who entered his life as Jesus with skin. She helped him to come to terms with the enormity of his sin and the overwhelming grace and forgiveness of a loving God. And when the time came for the sentence to be carried out, He was strapped into a chair and there were people invited to be in the room to view his death by injection, mainly the parents of the girls that he had killed. Sister Helen told him that he should watch her face. She said, that way, the last thing you will see before you die will be the face of someone who loves you. He did that, and he died in love rather than bitterness. Sister Helen was the body of Christ incarnating through her to that broken man. And let me tell you a quick story about something that's happened in uh, our own ministry at Gateway about an incident that happened on the basketball court uh, a while ago with a team of uh, guys that love playing, but, you know, they're a rough bunch. And uh, one of the guys had really lost his cool one night and uh, reacted in a, in a pretty bad way to the, to the referees. And, of course, there are procedures that need to be gone through and he was under a, a disciplinary me- measures. But one of the young guys in the active ministry just had a prompting from God that he should reach out to this guy. So he just rang him and he just asked, hey, how are you going? You know, I just sensed that something was happening in your world which which had disturbed you the other night. And they ended up having quite quite a deep conversation about what had happened. Anyway, This email came through 
the next day from this from this guy and he said, again, my apologies and appreciation for you giving me a chance to prove that it was out of character. Moving forward, I won't let you, the boys and the ref, down again. As a man, I do need to have the maturity level of controlling myself in situations like last week and I totally understand that it wasn't okay to act the way I did. I'm embarrassed at my actions but moving forward won't let the organisation down. We love playing basketball at Active and can't wait to enjoy the game with a better mindset. Again, thank you kindly, mate, for accepting my apology and letting us move forward. Have a lovely day and we'll see you at our next basketball game. Wow. Doesn't it sound presumptuous that we have that sort of power? How can we touch with love Forgive others, reconcile others to God. Only God can do that. Exactly. It is Christ working through us. The power is still with God, but in the incarnation, God has chosen to let his power flow through us. In Jesus' birth, something fundamental has changed. He's given us the power, literally, to help keep each other out of hell to help keep each other pointed in the direction of God's love. What difference does the incarnation make to how we think about the church? Well, with this mind-blowing thought that we are the body of Christ, we must lift up the value of the gathered church in our lives. This is not a casual event to which we come. It's not a club to which we belong. This is not even a cause which we are passionate about. This is a family, a body which is never complete unless the whole body is together. We can, we can try to be an arm on our own, but it's not much good without the fingers. A nose on its own can smell great, but it can't walk anywhere. We need each other to accomplish all the work that God has for us to do. How do we use our money when we have a revelation that we are part of the body? We are consistently generous. No part of the body should be in need when the other parts can help. And how, how do we feel when, when the body is under-resourced? When Jesus' body, the church, needs to move in a certain direction to fulfil a need in the world and there's not enough financial resource, how should that affect us? You know, I think God will really know that his children are stepping out of the driver's seat and allowing him to direct our path when his church is resourced financially to do all it is called to do. And then just let me finish by touching on just briefly what difference this makes to the way we treat our sexuality. Such an important issue. Let me read some powerful words from from, uh, Paul's letter. It says, There's more to sex than mere skin on skin. Sex is as much spiritual mystery as physical fact. As it's written in the scripture, the two become one. Since we want to become spiritually one with the master, we must not pursue the kind of sex that avoids commitment and intimacy, leaving us more lonely than ever. 
the kind of sex that can never become one. There is a sense in which sexual sins are different from all others. In sexual sin, we violate the sacredness of our own bodies. These bodies that were made for God-given and God-modelled love for becoming one with one another. Or didn't you realise that your body is a sacred place, the place of the Holy Spirit? Don't you see that you can't live however you please, squandering what God paid such a high price for? The physical part of you is not some piece of property belonging to the spiritual part. God owns the whole works. So let people see God in and through your body. Can you get a sense of the holiness that God is calling us to? Where the people around us we see them as brothers and sisters in Christ, not as objects for our pleasure, either in the physical sense or on a screen. Knowing that Jesus wants to touch and love and heal this world through us has got to affect how we use our bodies. Well, this teaching about the incarnation has given me so much to think about. When I see the baby in the nativity scene, I will try to get my head around the fact that the same spirit that lived in that child is alive in me. And I want each of us who call Jesus Lord to walk into our daily lives with a fresh understanding of the purpose to which we are called, to be the physical human expression of Jesus to a world that is so lost and so broken. I wonder as we prepare our souls for this Christmas, can we pray this together? The Word became flesh and is dwelling in us. God, may your presence in us make us kind and patient and generous, and forgiving, and merciful, and loving. For the sake of your world, amen.